Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters from their origins to their current pop culture incarnations. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and I am joined today by the full crew. Both Leonard and Cameron are here, and we have a returning guest, Jala. Hello! Hello! Hey, guys! We are all back aboard the dragon train. Yay! <laughs> Which we weren't on before, oh. but now we're here. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go with with the good ship Dragon Pop, but uh, I guess that was just me. I it, like that. <laughs> that was better. With, only oh. if it comes with a song. I request a song if that's if we're doing that. <laughs> I'm the good ship Dragon Pop. No, that's yes! it. That's all you get. Yes. I am now That's all we and, and the backup singer. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> good work, BB. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to be taking a look at the film The Flight of Dragons from 1982, uh, as well as some supplemental material, which were from 1957 and 1979. Uh, those will be brief because the material is interesting. In <laughs> that's, the nice, that's the nice way of putting it. Well, <laughs> one of them is very interesting, the other of which is meh. So we'll talk about it. <laughs> the movie itself is very interesting. Um, <laughs> so um, it's it was originally released in 1982. It's a Rankin-Bass film, so it's got the really amazing um, animation and all of that. But what Rankin and Bass did when they made this film, it, which is basically a made-for-TV movie, there are parts throughout the entire movie where it fades to black and that's where you go to your commercial break. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so <laughs> that that's... was the first thing that I noticed. I was like, oh, oh, okay. Not, not a, the well, not a theatrical film, but <laughs> clearly I was just trying to figure out if this was released as episodes or if it was like one thing that was just had a series of commercial breaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was released for a uh, made-for-TV movie kind of thing. Um, but... Mm. It's interesting because when they made this film, they took the, like, most of the characters and the setting uh, from a particular fantasy author, uh, Gordon R. Dixon, who wrote a series of Dragon Knight novels. There's nine of them total. The first one, The Dragon and the George, was first published in 76. The It was based off of a short story that he wrote in the 50s. Um, and it's actually like just to read the back, Dave. You should just read the back of this this book. I'll just read the back of the book. <laughs> the reluctant dragon. Jim Eckert was a dragon. He hadn't planned it that way, but that's what happened when he set out to rescue his betrothed. Following her through an erratic astral projection machine, Jim suddenly found himself in a cockeyed world, locked in the body of a talking dragon named Gorbash. That wouldn't have been so bad if his beloved Angie was also a dragon, but in this magical land, that was not the case. Angie had somehow remained a very female human, or a George, as the dragons called any human. And Jim, no matter what anyone called him, was a dragon. To make matters worse, Angie had been taken prisoner by an evil dragon, and she was held captive in the impenetrable Loathly Tower. So in this land where Georges were edible, and beasts were magical, where spells worked and logic didn't, Jim Eckert had a problem. And he needed help by George. 
I just want to beat my head against a wall. Okay. Like reading that. <laughs> and so then what, but here's the thing. That's the, okay. Obviously that main character that's in there, his name is Jim Eckert. Well, the main character in the flight of dragons movie is Peter Dickinson. Well, Peter Dickinson mm. is the author of the flight of dragons book, which is a book that basically is just telling you, it's got really, really great art, but it tells you, about how dragons could have theoretically lived and why we don't have any evidence, any fossil evidence and all of that. And mm. so what Rankin and Bass did is they took the fact that this Peter Dickinson guy wrote this book telling you how a dragon could possibly have lived once and threw him into the world of the dragon and the George and took out the original character and changed the scenario to make it one where it's like, um, science versus logic, and that's what they did for the the setup of the animated film that they created. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you trying to tell me that this this film is a mishmash of a bunch of different ideas from different sources? I couldn't have I couldn't have picked Possibly that up old. from the. From from the thematic through line of this yeah. entire story. <laughs> no, it's, it's so thematically consistent. Yeah. <laughs> well, all you um, need are a couple of chessmen. Of 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 yeah. all, of all the fan. So this is this is uh, my first time uh, viewing viewing this film um uh, and of all the fantasy media that i've uh ingested over my numerous decades on this planet uh this is the one it's like yeah everything everything it's uh, everything it's all canon and it's all canon because it's magic shut up shut your mouth shut up don't think about it <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the things that I was, okay, so so the difference, what, what, what we should uh, discuss for people listening to the podcast is, um, okay, so we gave the premise of the original book and the kind of overview, sort of, of what was mishmashed together. Well, in the animated film, what happens is that the world of magic is starting to wane because mankind is deciding that they don't you know, want to follow the ways of magic anymore. They are learning all about science and leaning on science. Uh, and by doing that, they are negating magic and making the magic realm weaken. And so there are four magic brothers who all have different powers and different uh, spheres of influence in the world. Um, and all of their powers are starting to just get weaker and weaker. And one of them, Carolinus, the green wizard, decides that he wants to create a safe haven for the remaining magic and seal it away from the rest of the world so that it doesn't completely disappear. Because it's through the magic realm that mankind gains inspiration for what he ends up making with his science and technology. So if the world of magic completely disappears, then that kind of dooms mankind as well. So that's what he wants to do. And two of his three brothers both agree. And then the last brother, Omadon, the red wizard, who is basically the devil, um, you know, he's the <laughs> black magic user and all of that. He says that he does not want to retire to this, you know, fool's paradise. He is going to use 
science and technology to destroy man and to corrupt him and to control him. And so his magic will continue to flourish because he will manipulate mankind. And so um, the laws of antiquity, which antiquity with a capital A, is kind of like God, <laughs> but mm. but it's like, it's the, it, to quote the movie, it's a great conglomeration of spirits gone before. So that's, that's what antiquity is. But antiquity says that they cannot, uh, the four magic brothers cannot war on each other. So the other magic brothers who are not evil inspire a quest to take away the evil brother's power to take away Omidon's power. And so that's the basic premise. Now they need to find a leader to go on this quest. And what happens is Carolinas, the green wizard asks antiquity itself for the hero that they need. And they end up saying it's great. Peter, the dragon master's descendant, you know, great Peter who tamed the dragons and taught them how to speak long ago and that happens to be peter dickinson and he is chosen because he is a man of science and so um the green wizard carolinus pops into the future which is like 70s slash 80s america (laughs) and um pulls out peter dickinson and brings him back to you know 10 centuries prior to their world of magic to lead this quest What's interesting is that Peter uh, has made a board game, The Flight of Dragons, and he's writing a book, uh, (laughs) of course. So he's writing his book and he's made this board game. But in the board game, all of the pieces look like all of the characters that lived back a ways, like the Green Wizard and the Red Wizard and all of those people, like the dragons and everybody. They are all as they actually look. So that's never explained. But that's a thing. <laughs> so they bring Peter back to, you know, their day and age, you know, back when magic is still around but waning. And the evil dragon that serves Omadon, the Red Wizard, ends up trying to capture Peter for Omadon. And in the middle of taking him away, Gorbash the dragon, who serves Carolinas, the green wizard, tries to catch the dragon and, and gets Sir Peter back. Meanwhile, Carolinas is trying to use a removal spell to bring him back. And the spell was incomplete and ends up hitting Peter and Gorbash, and they end up merging because the spell goes wild because it wasn't completed. And so then Peter... Sir Peter of Beacon Street, which is one of my favorite things about it, that they call him <laughs> Sir Peter of Beacon Street. Um, yeah. Sir Peter of Beacon Street merges with Gorbash and is, you know, a dragon who doesn't know how to be a dragon, who has the mind and heart of 20th century man. So, and he's got to go off on this quest like this to go and uh, capture the Red Crown of Omegon to um, basically allow the remaining wizards to make their magic realm, you know, sealed away from the rest of the world so that magic can be preserved. That's the basic idea of this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. Cameron, you said this was your first time watching this as well? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, which is one of my favorite parts of the show is I get to catch up on all the stuff I missed out on by just, you know, a few years here and there. <laughs> yeah, this movie, uh, yeah, this movie came out when I was, like, the year I was born. And I'm, I mm. think I'm older than everybody but Dave. <laughs> so... <laughs> So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, this is uh this movie was released when I was as as well. So <laughs> it's, it's like a couple of months. I think it said like August. I'm like, oh. Well, it's good that there's finally a piece of media that isn't in black and white that's older than me <laughs> to experience. Well, it my parents recorded it off of tv when it aired before my sister who's four years older than me so she was a toddler at the time that i was a baby and so i grew up watching the recorded off of tv version that we had on vhs Mm. forever and ever and that's why i know literally every line of this movie and i can sit there and recite the entire movie without prompting (laughs) so because i i watched it so much as a kid so Yeah, I can see why. It definitely captures the imagination. <laughs> so it, it goes in a lot of directions. And you're not, I already know that, like, nobody on this podcast is, like, a fan of this movie. It's fine. Like, um, no, no, you're not I gonna... actually, I actually did thoroughly enjoy it. Oh, good. I was, good. Uh, I was actually really impressed because I was like, oh, wow, this is a lot of really interesting ideas. Um, and it's, it's, um, the, you know, uh, magic versus science in, in like that light fantasy way that isn't condescending and isn't too dark, even though there's, there's some dark stuff in this legitimately Mm. dark stuff in this really charming Rankin Bass, uh, animated, uh, uh, film, but I just really loved, um, the reaction to the watermill. Which oh, is yeah. like, oh, what? I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, dude, you're you're overreacting. Like, out of all the the pieces of technology you can be angry about, <laughs> from man, it's it's a mill that's just using the stream. Like everything that happened with that swan is that swan and those fairies fault. Don't <laughs> don't get on the Miller's case about that. Yeah, oh, at, at the very beginning of the movie, after the really epic opening song and the whole, you know, montage that happens with all the dragons flying in the sky, a swan is going down the river and sees these fairies and is just looking at the fairies and then ends up getting caught by the water mill wheel, the water wheel at the mill, and uh, ends up, you know, kind of trampled under the water mill's wheel. And then Carolinus, you know is saying, you know, standing in the water after he revives the, you know, swan and the fairies, and then he's shaking his fist, you know, like the old man, <laughs> you know, get off my lawn! Oh. He's like, you know, be careful with your machines! <laughs> and then all the millers, to be fair, he's he's mostly pissed off because the millers are, like, not repentant whatsoever. They're like, ah, oh, you're a dumb old dude, go away. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, l- and, l- listen... And then they start throwing rocks, okay? They threw oh, rocks at him, all right? Was, so yeah. he was just was like, that, yeah. Was that before or after he tried to blow up their <laughs> wheel? With that was before. Blow. He tried to okay. blow it up okay. after they threw rocks and yeah. stuff. 
And then they were just so amused. Because at first they were like, oh, shit. Because things are getting real because there's, like, magic coming out of his hand. But then it just kind of fizzles out because his powers are waning. And then they just laugh. And they're like, my little boy can do better. (laughs) And then Carolinas just gets sad and walks away. Yeah. So one thing I have to say about this movie, though, (laughs) is that as much as it's a mishmash of a bunch of things, from what I skimmed in the... Uh, Gordon R. Dixon book, the characters as they are portrayed in the film have a lot more quirky and more interesting and a sense of humor and like just kind of, you know, just overflowing personality more so than what is presented in the original text. Um, I had a Mm. friend who actually had read the books first and then was very mad at the Flight of Dragons movie for you know, bastardizing these characters that she loves so much. But like, when I flip through the book, I'm like, I I don't even really want to read this because it, <laughs> it's it's not that great. Um, you know, it's just not it, it's it's run of the mill fantasy novel stuff. Um, and I'm like, you know, I I I have to hand it to the movie. They actually managed in this movie that they lifted all of these characters and and things from you know some other source. It like made them a lot more interesting. Uh, Carolinus is really kind of sarcastic, but he's also kind of, you know, sarcastic and kind of wryly amused by a lot of things, but Mm. he's also, you know, like a wise man and and a fatherly figure and a bunch of other stuff. And Sir Orin Neville Smythe, the gallant knight and true, boy, he's got a (laughs) personality on him. So, and like all of the characters just have their, have their quirks that just make them fun. Even some of the later characters that show up, you know, you get a very good sense of them from their voice acting. The voice acting is amazing from just the artwork and how they're drawn and their expressions, how their expressions change um, throughout and everything. Um, Also, the music in this is really good too. So Mm. all of those, Mm. all of those things are quite good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not uh it's not a low quality production by any mean. It's just you know, the old man has needles for claws, and that oh, yeah. immediately <laughs> threw me off. Oh, he's got the longest, <laughs> longest nails, and they're super sharp. And it's like, okay, so look, I'm still getting anything done. But seriously, look <laughs> at every know. character in this thing, except for like the the ladies. Like everybody looks scary. Yeah, well, everybody is scary. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh. I, I did wanna I did wanna uh, uh, comment on Carolinas, uh, which is uh, I I also appreciate that as as this like kind of the most active wizard by being the the Earth and Nature wizard, he is also the most anachronistic as well. Like it's just not like uh, ye old fantasy. He's like, yeah, I'm aware of like stuff in the future yeah like your book the book that you wrote yeah this is my library <laughs> of books that haven't been written yeah i know about this yep uh yep. and yeah he's, he's quoting a bunch of them yeah it feels very um merlin from sword and stone yeah yes yeah like t- turn down a little bit he's not gonna take it you should start going mute anytime soon but yeah he, he right. made his own retirement community he doesn't need to go to bermuda <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, so I'm just skimming bits of this Dragon and the George book, and it—it's mm. like it's the characters. It's so it's 
Brian. Brian. No, Sir Brian. Sir Brian instead of Sir Orin. Yes. And then Jim. Jim, our, our main guy. But their, their discussion, I think he's trying to... He's like, I'm a knight, and that gives me like such and such social standing. And then Jim is like saying... They're introducing social security numbers. It's really weird. It's like I'm four six nine six nine 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 two one. And he's like, "Yeah, that's a damn fine figure." And this is, <laughs> so Brian's going on. He's like, "I don't even have a number. I'm just a knight. Could I have a cool number?" And <laughs> just what is that? I don't know. Yeah. So Jim's like, "You underestimate yourself." Jim said, "Jim uneasily." The, the ploy was getting out of hand. Of course, I wouldn't know what official number would be, but in my country, I'd guess you'd be at least, uh... He had to think rapidly to count the digits in his own social security number. 3872277. The eyes on Sir Brian turned... The eyes Sir, Sir Brian turned and were as round as dinner plates. Really? Do you think so? All that? At least that. Well, well, what was it again? And, like, wants to know this number... I don't know what they're trying to do with that because there's no context, but no. that's a lot... <laughs> Like and that's what I'm saying. Like I sat there and I was flipping through the book and I was I was gonna try to read it for the show and I'm like I I can't <laughs> I can't read this. Like oh man boy. They also they also if you happen to be on Audible they have the book The Dragon and the George for free included in your Audible membership. So if I really get curious I will listen to it and then scream about it on Twitter. <laughs> Is it a nine? Yes. There's nine books nine total books in the series, and I'm like, I can't, oh, I can't wow. even with nine yeah. books of this. And the, <laughs> the first book ends at when they get to Helm's, um, Way. Helm's Way, Helm's Way Inn, right before they go to the realm of the Red Death to go fight Omidon. Yeah, and that's almost 300. That's about 300 pages of book just yeah. to get to that. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> there's a. I think there's a buying getting these. Um, an Audible would be the way to go, because otherwise they're out of print and or very, very expensive. I think it was $700 to get the whole set paperback. Well, they do have it on oh, Kindle, though. Mm -hmm. So you you also yeah, have the yeah. ability to get it on Kindle if yeah, you really want. Visual or the audio would be. Yeah. Not too cool. Yeah, but, like, it's just, it, it's a lot. Um, what's interesting, though, about this movie's pacing is that it's mm. super slow at the beginning, and then once stuff starts happening, then it's just like boom, 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 boom. But it, it's weird oh, because yeah. it doesn't... It has a lot that's going on, but it doesn't feel... At least to me, it doesn't feel like it's quite as jankily paced as it, as it is if you're thinking about things that have happened. Like, there's a whole, like... I don't know, good half hour, 40 minutes of just, like, the introduction before anything starts to really occur. That they're mm -hmm. setting up the world, they're setting up the characters, they're setting up, you know, the rules of how things work, you know. They even go through, uh, in the movie, and explain to you more or less most of what Peter Dickinson's book The Flight of Dragons is about, where they explain... You know, how does a dragon have lift to fly? Why does a dragon mm. breathe fire? Um, all of those things are in the Flight of Dragons book by Peter Dickinson. And, like, basically they put it in this movie because he's learning all of this stuff when he's back there. And then once he goes to his own time, he writes his book. And that's how he knows yeah. everything is because he was there. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. 
But, like, there's this whole section where it's just, like, trying to teach you about dragons and all this different stuff about the world. You know, like, the whole setup. All all the time it takes for Carolinas to talk to his other brothers and then to inspire the quest and then to, you know, talk to Antiquity and all of that before you even get to them doing anything. Like, they have barely just started their quest when they end up coming across the Sand Mercs, which are a mm. type of chittering hive mind creature that lives by the sea but was told by Omadon to go, you know, drive the questers mad. Yeah. So, you know, like that that happens and then it's kind of like the sand mercs happen and then suddenly, you know, they have a run in with the elves in the forest and then gain a couple of party members. And then mm -hmm. they're at Helm's Way, and then boom, they're like in the realm of the Red Death. Like they, I don't even know how far it is from wherever Carolinas was to the realm of the Red Death, but it really it doesn't. It's not actually that far if you think about things that happen in oh, yeah. in yeah, the I mean, film. They're brothers, they're yeah, kind of that far. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then what's kind of funny? Well, what's funny is that like Loathly Tower is such a big deal. You know, and it's so striking because it's just like this giant red skull on the top of a peak, you know. But, like, nobody ever actually goes to Lovely Tower because Omadon comes to, you know, the scene of, of where everybody's fallen. And he comes out, you know, uh, and fights Peter at the end of the thing. Um, but... They're not in Lothly Tower. Nothing yet had to do with Lothly Tower at all, actually. I mean, it's just kind of there in the beginning, mm. you know? Well, I so. mean, I, I I saw that throne room. I'm like, it's airy and it's cold because it's real high up. That like, like I, I you know, I I love a good uh, 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 skull top spire tower like anyone, mm. but I don't want my room to be in the open mouth. That's the <laughs> <laughs> that's the launching bay. It is because yeah, like basically. That the only thing that the only time they ever use that throne room is when you know Omadon is getting on Briog to go somewhere, or he's sending Briog mm -hmm. out, and that's that's where he goes from is the mouth of the, the Lovely Tower. So see, I was see, like, uh, oh, yeah. uh, Omadon isn't nearly uh, uh, theatrical enough because uh, <laughs> later in the plot he enlists the uh, all the other dragons. He 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 in enchants all the other dragons to join his cause. And I would have, if it was me, I would just clown card that entire throne room <laughs> and then just like, yeah. And here's a giant red skull that's vomiting out dragons. <laughs> right, <cool>. right. <laughs> but man. I mean, like it's Omadon's got some some pretty scary abilities, but it, in the end, the way that he goes out, like when I was little, I had watched it oh so many God. times, I didn't even question it. But then when I watched it, you know, when I thought about it as an adult, I'm like, that is actually incredibly funny. Um, oh yeah. So so the way that Sir Peter, the man of science, <laughs> defeats Omadon who at the end of the movie transforms himself into a hydra with a bunch of like Briog heads sticking out of his back. And he summoned all of the world's evil into one place and it's his body and he's growing in size. And then he starts doing all of these different, you know, magic incantations and stuff and breathing fire from the, you know, dragon heads on his back. And then Sir Peter is just says, 
oh, well, I figured out, because Sir Peter um, ends up freeing himself from being trapped in Gorbash, the dragon, by thinking to himself, two things can't occupy the same place at the same time. And once he thought his scientific logical thought, then he was no longer trapped in the dragon. And so that's how yeah. he gets his idea for how he's going to beat Omadon. So he says, <laughs> those incantations don't frighten me. I've got some incantations of my own. And then he starts spewing everything from your eighth grade science class. <laughs> like, all of the different, yeah. like, a body in motion tends to stay in motion. And then, boosh, there goes one of the heads of Briog, <laughs> you know, just blown up in the bits, you know. Oh, yeah. It was hilarious. And, um, and he just... I, I... Yeah. yeah, I've never seen someone get killed by having the various branches of science wrapped at them alphabetically. Yeah, so, I'm here for it. He's just reading textbook titles. Yeah, he's just like, you know, archaeology, <laughs> paleontology, but it, but alphabetically, however. Yeah. You know, yeah. Physics, psychology. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was half expecting him to start saying Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton. Just summoning them, Galileo. And being just like, oh Lord! Oh man, that would have been nice. Oh, the round summon, right? Oh man. <laughs> well, okay. So, so one thing we didn't mention is who, like, because I said the voice acting is really good. They have John Ritter for Gorbash's voice. They've got um, uh, James Earl Jones for Omadon because he was like every really? bad guy ever. Yep. Yes, James Earl Jones. Yep. Wow. Yes. yes. Wow. So. Yeah, I, I, I immediately recognize. Uh, I immediately recognized that voice. I was yeah. like, "Oh, hey, oh, hey, mm, no, not gonna say Darth Vader. Uh, hey, <laughs> owner of the beast from the Sandlot. There we go. That's the one that I'm going with. Well, and then too, like uh, he was also Kazad Doom from um, Conan, Conan. So yes. Mm. And so, like when he's in there, he's like Doom. He has Omidon, Doom, Doom. I'm like, cause I'm Doom. You know, like, just, oh man. But yeah, it, like, he was every villain for everything during that time frame. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, his voice is great. And um, also, the guy who plays Carolinas is in MASH. So, yes. yeah. so, so yeah, like, they had some pretty famous voice actors working on this. And, like, you know, uh, even some of the people that I didn't know, like Melisande. Um, Carolinas' adopted daughter. Um, I don't know who plays her, but when she, she's got several points where she just has to scream bloody murder, but it sounds terrified and like it's really legitimately convincing. Like a lot of times for animation, especially, you don't get like real good screams, but the screams in this film, I'm telling you, they were oh yeah, the screams, yeah, top notch screams in yeah. in this in this ch children's fantasy. Film. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, uh, especially when the, what is it, the Sand Mercs? Yes. Mm. Uh, yeah, that, that, that concept is horrific and nightmarish, yeah. uh, in a way that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, these things, <laughs> they normally live by the sea, but, um, yeah, their chittering just makes you go crazy. Just, mm -hmm. just melt your mind. Yeah, yeah. Melt they, your brain. They melt your brain, and so like how they get out of this. Okay, so the Sandmarks come upon them, and Sir Orin and um, 
Peter are both going insane, screaming, rolling around on the ground, trying to think of anything to get the noise out of their head and failing miserably. Smurgle, the older dragon, is completely just asleep and just (laughs) demisses everything that's going on, just does not wake up. Yep, Um, yep. But uh, Solarius, the blue wizard whose realm is the highest mountains, deepest oceans, and the stars, brings uh, Arag, a giant dire wolf who had been dragged out to sea by a giant squid back to life. Um, well, actually, he he yeah. brings him back as a zombie first yeah. and says, yeah. nothing living can withstand the sand mercs cry. Once you defeat the sand mercs, then I will give you your life back. And so yeah. he, as a zombie <laughs> dire wolf, comes and takes down the queen sand merc. And then as soon as that happens, he comes back to life and then joins the quest. So, can yeah. can we can we take a moment to talk about how the wizards just like okay a quest not a proxy war because we can't infight with each other it's a noble quest yeah. and also you you can't come back to life until you do this thing I'm not blackmailing you <laughs> yeah. I'm just giving you a second chance I'm like yeah all right <laughs> okay. You don't no, have right. to do it. Well, you're, the... liter- you're like sidestepping all of the rules uh-huh. to get what you want. Mm-hmm. This feels very Glenda the Good Witch <laughs> to me. Like, well, oh man, look at this power vacuum in Oz. Whoever's going to rule this entire land? <laughs> <laughs> well, the the thing about it, it that uh, is convenient is that Arog happens to know smurgle and gorbash the two dragons and so like he was a friend with those dragons so he has another like closer tie like an emotional reason to want to try to help yeah but But i i did i just i just a a a i was just like man antiquity really four (laughs) four wizards you do five that way you have someone to break a stalemate right And then, and then, secondly, like, oh man, can't fight one another. Got proxies, proxies yep. this time. It's the Cold War all over again. They're even <laughs> fighting the red guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I also just think that it's funny that, like, that it requires three of them to encompass all of the good magic, and then just one guy just gets all of evil. Yep. It's yeah. Like, yep. yep. Uh, yep, I got it all. <laughs> every every conceptual form of evil, I can just do it. But you, you deal with stars and the sky and the ocean and <laughs> grass and fields and your peace and, and tranquility and, <laughs> yeah. and light. And I'm like, yep. Yeah. I'll just take all of this, sure. Yeah. Well, in the, in <laughs> no the beginning when they... they... all vote against me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, in the beginning when they're making their um, decision to, well, I guess they're trying to set up the magical retirement city, uh, <laughs> and then that's when Omidon decides to, to go do his, yes, to go do his own thing, and it's like, no, I'll just rule everything instead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Power. Uh, yeah, no, well, what? You don't like man? I like man. Y'all just teach man to do horrible things. Yes. Later. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll show him how to fly like a fairy. I love that. Um. Yeah, I love that line in particular because, like, that delivery, James Earl Jones' delivery, when he's like, 
I'll teach man to use his machines. I'll mm. show man what distorted science can give birth to. I'll show man to fly like, you know, teach man how to fly like a fairy. And it's got like a bomb coming down. Yeah. yeah. And then like, and then when the bomb blows up and turns into a mushroom cloud, that mushroom cloud transmogrifies into his body again. He's like, and then all of humanity is mine. You know, like, and his laugh is so great. And it's like, Obadon's pretty baller. I'm sorry. He is like the most baller of all of those, you know, wizards. He's actually really badass. Well, so. I, I I just think it's also really funny that it's the mushroom cloud and then the crown, which is the the magical item that the quest revolves around. And I'm just like, mm, come on, dude! Like slaver's mask covered, pointy slaver's mask covered by also pointy, super pointy crown, and yeah. they're both the same color. You yeah. can do better mm. than that. You're a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then what's funny is that um, he's like, by this red crown, source of all my dark power, you know, and he invokes it before he disappears. And then when he disappears into his mist, his crown shows up and then gets really, really big and disappears, you know, shines a little bit before it disappears. Yeah. Like, just in case you didn't know what the MacGuffin is, <laughs> here's the MacGuffin again. Yeah, we can't, we can't forget about the whales. Oh, Yes. Let's use whales, guys! Whales! So, <laughs> like, Solarius is like, I'll bring you, you know, like, great whales and serpents of the sea. And, and then Caroline's is like... Yeah, he just straight up says Neptune. And I'm yeah. like, all right. Now the god of the ocean. <laughs> well, so, yeah, Solarius is ready to go to war. He's, like, all up in, but he's like... And then Caroline's is so like, sorry, guys. It's on land. You can't have your whales. <laughs> No He's whales. Like, oh. <laughs> well, and then like Lotajao, he's <laughs> unfortunately for Lotajao, he's like you know transcendence, healing, contemplation. That's what he's all about. So he doesn't even really show up for ninety percent of the movie because like he, that has nothing to do with a quest to go capture the red crown. So he's over there meditating. Mm. You know, he but, literally says, uh, "All the creatures in my realm are peaceful." Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Right. Here's a flute. But but yeah. but the flute is the only way that they could win because the flute of healing sleep. Luckily the elf knows how to play it and can fit it underneath that giant nose of his. Um because oh, like yeah, this guy. Yeah. The, the flute <laughs> of healing sleep manages to put all of the dragons in the sky, all the whole flight of every dragon in the world to sleep. And it's like, you know, Lotajao really has like the real, real power here. <laughs> because if it wasn't oh, yeah. for that, they would ne never, never, never have won. So. Yes, yeah, science absolutely. and peace. Yep. Mm. So. And yeah, Giles the Elf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot, a lot of science, to be fair. I, I, I really enjoyed, like, the biology aspect with the dragon stuff. That was actually kind of fun. Mm -hmm. um, it's, like, the most in-depth details on how it wants to work, so you've gotten any of these... Yeah, yeah, I was, I was going to say, I was like, oh man, like mechanics of a beastie, like, oh, this one is actually pretty good. Mm. And and also it's just like, yeah, you want to know why dragons hoard gold? It's because they set things on fire while they sleep and they need a soft metal to sleep on. Gold yeah. hoarding. I'm like, oh, that's cute. Yeah, yeah. 
exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I do like the idea that um, biologically they are forced to raid dwarven mines. It's not that they're evil, <laughs> but they gotta. <laughs> yeah. Well, they need the diamonds for their craw so they can grind up the white fire rock. That's limestone. I mean, Shut up and eat your white fire rock. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, limestone's a pretty soft rock. You could probably just get, like, granite pebbles or something, right? <laughs> no. Or you need diamonds. Well, because, but, but then they'd have to replace them all the time. That's why you use diamonds. <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah, fair. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, but, like, the, the book from Peter Dickinson, The Flight of Dragons, is just dedicated to um, all of the science ideas. You know, like, mm. all of the ideas about how yeah. the mechanics of a dragon would work. Like, it's all of the stuff that was explained in the movie lifted and put into that book, but then also quoting different um, types of dragons and different source materials for dragon information, and then also talking about well, why don't we have fossil records of dragons and things like that? Yeah. And the artwork in there is what directly inspired the artwork of the Rankin Bass film. So it's definitely worth looking at the Flight of Dragons book by Peter Dickinson um, for the artwork especially. And it's not a very long book either. So like it's, it's fun, fun, easy, quick read for that. Um, I cannot, however, recommend The Dragon and the George or The Dragon Knight series by Gordon R. Dixon, uh, just from like the little bit of social security number weirdness. I I don't know. Like there there's there were so many instances that I flipped through and I was like trying to read it and I was reading it aloud and I'm like ah this is not great. Wow, they they did something a lot better with it in my opinion. I mean, but anyway, like I I like the fact that at the end of the movie it's not even a Right? Like, it's just no. they stand there and they're talking to each other. It's a rap and then battle. It, yeah, it's a rap battle. It's a rap battle at the end of the thing and that's how they, they take him out. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of the best. It, it, hey, it's pretty good. There's no way uh, Peter of um, Beacon Street, whatever street it was, Beacon Street it was gonna fight the multi-headed evil Hydra hand to hand. In his pants that look like he's not wearing any pants. Yep. That <laughs> confused me uh, when he first got the costume. I was like, uh, "Is he wearing? Is he wearing a pants? Did he no, just get the tunic? He's pulling a link. He's the yeah. It, like yeah, OG Link. Like all tunic, no no leggings. That's yep. that's how yep. you beat Gantman. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and also the fact that Peter was like in this magical land as himself for like all of an hour and a half. Yeah, before. yeah. <laughs> like that's that's when the mo when I thought like, wow, this is really moving kind of fast because you know first it's like, oh, it's the conceit of you've created this board game that that I'm going I'm going to Jumanji you and bring you into the game, which is actually the past. And then it's like, here, let me settle you in. This is what we're doing. Where I'm going to send you out to assassinate my brother because I can't do it myself. Uh, <laughs> so uh, get ready for that. And uh, don't fall in love with uh, my adopted daughter 
whose parents I may or may not have killed, which is like a weird revelation that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like, I, oh, you're a dragon now. Uh, well, it's time for you to learn how to be a dragon. Also, I still expect you to kill my brother because I can't do it myself. Yes. Yeah. You're and, more and physically capable now. It makes more sense. Right. During his time as a dragon, he accomplished zero. Yeah, and he, he even failed says that. at everything he tried to yep. do. Well, he says that after Helm's Way in. Like, I love the fact that the dragons were drunk in the cellar, yeah. <laughs> singing songs. Oh singing your Beacon Street song again. Yeah. They're singing, <laughs> you know, Oh, Susanna, don't you cry for me. They're singing in the cellar, <laughs> drunk as fuck. When the ogre comes and steals some of their party members, murders the innkeeper, the poor innkeeper. Oh my god, he yeah. was such a nice man, and he just got the shortest end of the uh, stick. Just like, I mean, he was financially ruined no matter what. <laughs> Pop told me never to extend credit to a dragon. Yeah, they dragons have gold, you know. They have it with them. You will be paid eventually. <laughs> He's like, oh. Uh, but, like, he, you know, Gorbash, when he wakes up, or rather Peter, when he wakes up, is like, oh, fat lot of good, I've been in this quest. You know, um, like, what was it about the Sandmurks? Like, you know, useless with the Sandmurks, caught in the elves' net, and in a stupor when the ogre attacks. Yeah, well, you know? the, the best part is they both woke up and went like, did we do this? Don't yeah. mention anything. Don't admit anything. Don't, yes, don't incriminate yeah. ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> But Smurgle, man, Smurgle the old dragon is so good. He's so good. And then, mm. you know, like, he's trying to teach Peter how to be a dragon. And then when, you know, Peter fails even to do, you know, do in the Ogre of Gormley Keep, he doesn't even get to fight the Ogre and win. He fails at literally everything as a dragon. <laughs> and Smurgle ends up dying. His heart bursts when he ends up taking down the freaking Ogre. It's like, oh my yeah. gosh, Peter, you He's failed. like, I forgot to tell you about using your tail. Oh. Yeah, like, <laughs> the backside maneuver, I forgot <laughs> to mention it, you know. But, uh... Oh, yeah. And, and, like, the only time V actually finally starts to do stuff is once they get to the realm of the Red Death, and he's like, wait, don't step in that. It has a silver base, it's a highly corrosive acid. Much stronger than anything I came in, you know, came across in the lab. Here, do this, mm. you know? And then he's like, oh, now I got it. Now I got it, you know? But he kind of had to at that point because Smurgle was no longer there to hold his little hand. Yeah, right. So. Yeah. Oh, it's a horrible worm creature. Well, we'll just slice it into... No. Oh, we can't slice it into pieces because it'll just still live and excrete acid. All right, well... um, I'm going to incinerate it from the inside by breathing fire into its mouth and setting it, <laughs> and setting it ablaze. Yeah, it's full mm -hmm. of sulfuric acid, so yep. it's full of sulfur gas. Totally flammable. There well, you go. science. science. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and uh, also when Briog shows up, and Briog just levels everybody, just everybody. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And, like, I gotta say, though, like, that whole part where Sir Orin is being immolated in his armor, you know, I'm like, he is cooking alive completely, and he has his sword that's filled with fire, and he shoots, you know, throws it at Briog, and that happens to go through his hide because it's, 
basically molten metal at this point, <laughs> you know, that, mm. that's hot and, you know, catch, you know, hot on fire and everything, and then takes down Briog by throwing it at him. At the end of that, when he's, like, laying next to Danielle, and he's like, I would have lived a life with thee, Lassie, so now I die. I'm like, don't touch her, you're burning her skin. Don't touch her, you know? <laughs> but And also, you know, you were talking, like, 20 minutes ago about how you vowed to fall in love with Melisande. Well, well no, he completed that now. Oh, he, he fell in love with her. But, <laughs> well, well, the, the okay. So Sir Orin is 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 such a weirdo character, but he's also a real bro because you know, like when Peter is mm. like, "Oh, and now she loves me." I mean, sorry, sorry, and then Orin's like, "Nah, don't worry about it. Feel lucky she likes you." <laughs> and he just kind of let go of it. He's cool. just like, well, I fell in love with her, and I've known her forever, but she loves you, so, I mean, oh well. You know. Which is for the best, because he made that vow when she was five years old. I know! Like, dude, it's like, okay. <laughs> but he made the yeah. vow when she was old enough, so, right. like, and, and just oh, to yeah. fall in love with her, not to, like, do anything, you know? Right. So, yeah. It's 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 very it's very high fantasy. Yes, it's very on brand for high fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like I'm like in a in in a in a in a uh, realm where fate is fate and destiny are actually a thing. <laughs> Being like, oh, I, oh, it's like my destiny to marry this person who's five now. Uh, mm. Okay. I'm I'm personally uncomfortable with that, but the universe is telling me this is what's <laughs> going to happen. So I guess there's nothing I can do about it. Well, what's so funny to me about Sir Oren is when he's talking about how he first found Gorbash, and he's like, I was mucking about in Omadon's Red Devil Realm or whatever it's called, and... Then I saw some dragon eggs, and I was about to do a charcoal sketch when <laughs> this evil yeah. dragon showed up, and you know, the laws of chivalry and all that, you know. <laughs> I've got got to go yeah. fight him and seemed ashamed to die for an egg, but, you know, I'd already <laughs> made the challenge. I can't help it. Oh, well. <laughs> so. There, there's kind of an ass... There, there's a part of me, like, I really enjoyed this uh, a lot, and there's a part of me that it just, uh, upon reviewing it, I uh, was thinking... You know, if this were somehow remade, like turned into like a short format, like miniseries, uh, because the material itself is fairly dark, the way that it's presented isn't. Like the the that that flashback fight with with Sir Neville, he uh, he talks about like uh, getting his arm caught in the in the dragon's uh, mouth and his gauntlet falling off and like him taking damage like i'm like oh yeah if you did this like as a live action thing and just skewed it slightly darker like this is some fairly intense stuff that's going on in this film mm. well by the way in 2013 there was a bid to make a live action movie for this Oh, really? Um, there was, and it was supposed to come out for a 2015 release, but it ended up becoming canceled. But there was, at one point, um, a live-action adaptation concept. And it was going to be based on one of the books by uh, Gordon R. Dixon. But um, 
yeah, that was supposed to be a thing, and it was supposed to have contributions from the people, some of the people who had worked on the sound design and everything from the original uh, hmm. cartoon. So, but uh, that ended up falling through, and I think some of the people that were going to collaborate ended up passing away. Like I think Mari Laws, who did most of the music or all of the music, I don't remember. Um, he uh, passed away, if I'm not mistaken. So. Nah, two years ago. So yeah. just recently. But he was 95, 95 years old. old. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had a yeah. run. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. But yeah, that was supposed to be a thing. Um, but then that ended up falling through. And honestly, um, for a movie of that time frame, I don't know if they could have done it justice at that time frame with the way yeah. that film was at that point point you know like i think right now like with a more modern adaptation because like the way that things are being skewed in the more modern you know film industry and such i think that it might be a a more interesting take than like a 2012 2013 2015 era thing so right yeah i i i i think that that a story like adapting the flight of dragons directly and and not one of the books but like a straight adaptation of this as uh, as a mini series would probably be the best route to take with it mm-hmm. well like i mean it's along. yeah go on uh, it was uh, just <laughs> uh, we're I, not I... doing this job <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was uh, like something along the lines of uh, the the Dark Crystal series, like like make it like uh, you know twelve episode thing. You get to flesh everybody out out a lot more. You you uh, don't introduce three characters in the last twenty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think that you know that's that's a thing too because like I like the movie as it is and I don't know that I like both of the pieces of source material I like the flight of dragons by Peter Dickinson but that is just it's not the characters it's not the world it is literally right. just how the dragons work um you know the the other series like although I like the characters the way they are presented in the film from what I've read in the book I don't like the original version of it very much so like that's where it's like, well, if they start trying to base it off of those novels more so than the, you know, animated film, then I don't know. That would probably lose me, you know? Like, I, I wouldn't be as interested in, in that, I don't think. So. Right. Yeah. But it is segmented. Because of those commercial breaks, it's got lots of, you know, automatically <laughs> it's already got its episode dividers right there. I mean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes, and this is a post Game of Thrones slash other fantasy spinoffs that we've had um, in the last fifteen years or so that stepped away from the uh, Hercules era fantasy. That like late nineties, early two thousands had a very specific tone to it that I feel would have still kind of got stuck on um, in the early like twenty twelve era. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting if they ever do something again with that, it, but it's it's now been we can't rule anything out. Um, stuff likes to come back thirty, forty years later, as we've discovered um, all too recently. 
Um, well, what we didn't talk about, though, was the actual dragon physiology. Um, mm. Hinted at it a bit. Um, they're, they're in, they don't have bones. Or not bones <laughs> as such that you'll find fossil record of. Uh, they're, they're similar to bird construction. Um, however, they are filled with like bladders on the inside um, that they that are that as they age um, expand over time to allow them to eventually just become dragon orb because that's the way they fly is by <laughs> expanding and contracting yeah. uh, like the the limestone yeah the limestone that they grind up with those diamonds they stole from the dwarf mines. Once mixed with stomach acids, forms hydrogen, and the hydrogen is then expanded and contracted in those little compartments inside the dragon. And then, you know, that's how they get their lift. So they don't really need their wings. They turn into, like, these big round things with these little wings sticking out the sides because, you know, uh, they only really need those <laughs> to steer. And um, then it also... the. Um, they breathe fire because in the roof of their mouth they have what's called Thor's thimble, which is um, a little nodule that will create electricity. So the electricity ignites the hydrogen, and then that's why they breathe fire. So. Yeah. Yeah, they're just biological zeppelins. <laughs> just, yes, yes, just exactly. Big biological zeppelins. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's cute. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh. That's I, the man of all the things like, uh, wow, way to take the mystique out of like, man, I don't want to be a dragon if that's like my existence. I'm like, oh, cool, I'm a big flammable bla air bladder. Well, and that's that's another reason why when Sir Orin's sword was on fire and it lanced yes. through Briog, it caught him in, on fire is because he's filled with hydrogen. So if yeah. you can pierce a dragon with something that's flaming, then yeah, you can yeah. totally take it down in one hit. So, yeah. and, and like the, I knew um, that it, I knew that it wasn't going to happen, but like I was just like, this dragon should explode when yeah. the sword hits. <laughs> Although, um, what I like about the animation is that if you watch how the dragons look when they are lifting off you can see where their compartments are expanding when they're mm -hmm. like filling mm -hmm. them with the hydrogen once they're about to lift off you can actually watch that happen in the animation itself so they did a really mm -hmm. good job with that yeah it's great <laughs> it's it, uh, yeah I, I uh, like unironically really really liked this film and was uh, kind of surprised that I had, hadn't had run across it until now, so um, real, It's just uh, Yeah, it's just one of the weird things about, because it's a Rankin and Bass film, which most people love Rankin and Bass films just because of the artistry of it, but it was a made-for-TV movie and, like, yeah. the only copies you could find uh, for the longest time like, they, they had a short run on VHS, but then they had, like, a DVD run, but it was only from Canada, and it was late into the DVD era. And the artwork on the cover of that looks terrible. That's absolutely yeah. terrible. And if you look at that, you don't want to, like, you don't think it's going to be as good as it is if you see the artwork that's on that that particular release. So... You know, it's it's pretty pretty rough. That's why it just kind of like it's it's 
was weird unknown. I say, you know, oh yeah, I watched Flight of Dragons a lot when I grew up, and people have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think, like, one person on my Twitter was like, oh, I remember that film. You're, like, the only one, my friend. You are the only one. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at this box art, and I'm like, all right, well, they, uh, they, they clip Carolinas's nails. Yeah. And Peter looks like he's 13 instead of a full-grown man. <laughs> it's just very weird. And, like, the uh, Gorbash looks terrible. It's, like, it's all terrible. It's all very, very terrible. He's not, it's, like, they're not even wearing the right colors. It's, like, Gorbash is green-ish, but that's, like, about the only thing they did right about it. The rest of it, like, he doesn't even have the right horns. They didn't even draw him to look like the character. In the, he's, like, did you, did you just think about the movie and then like decide you were just going to come up with something without actually looking at anything from the movie <laughs> the the longer i look at it the more it looks like it is um like an asylum style <laughs> wish master uh, <laughs> uh, not wish master uh <laughs> like uh, uh what's that macaulay culkin book movie Page Master. Uh, page Master. Page Master. Yeah. It looks like it looks like uh it looks like an asylum ripoff page master <laughs> looking at that cover. How yes. terrible. They're terrible. sitting they're sitting on the dragon wrong. You have to stand on their neck. Because yeah. that makes so much sense. But that's okay. It looks really cool, okay? <laughs> it looks cool. Well, I mean they're round <laughs> when when they're flying. Yeah, that's so. true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's an unstable part of them. If they're when they start descending, that part becomes less round. Yeah. Um, and why is everyone smiling? They, they this is like Page Master slash Neverending Story cover. It's terrible. Uh, everyone's that's smiling because cover. it's animated, and animation is for children, and children should always be happy. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so they watch the very end of this movie, and then everyone's dying, which didn't matter because they were okay five seconds later. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, you know, Absolutely. realm of magic. They, uh, they, 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 I, I do like the idea of, of, um, of. Well, everyone died horribly, but because, uh, because we forcibly separated the realms of man's logic and magic, everyone's just fine because that's how magic works. It's magic. Don't question it. Literally, it's magic. Yeah. Don't question it. Well, it also <laughs> seems like. The the power of magic is maybe divided between the brothers and with Omegon gone, like the evil quotient taken out. Everyone's well. I don't think that they're any stronger. You've you've taken the magic that was spread out over the whole world and you've condensed it into one small spot. So they're mm. they're and, at and least a little stronger. Evil <laughs> and removed evil. Oh, for now. Yes. You you know Omadon's gonna just like grow out of a seed pod in the middle of the realm of magic. Oh no. No. no, 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 no. Here's what happened, guys. So at the end of the film, Peter, because he denounced all magic when he fought Omadon, goes back to his own time and place and he's back, you know, sitting there hanging out in the pawnbroker's place, playing the game with the pawnbroker, and then mm. you know, somehow he managed to take the shield of Saturn with him and is trying to sell it to the pawnbroker but then um yeah. anyway then melisande the um adopted daughter of carolinas who had fallen in love with peter immediately and he with her um she wants to go be with peter because she loves him and so she goes to his time and place 
and she's bringing the red crown of Omidon, and they're just going to give it to the pawnbroker and pawn it off to go, I don't know what, and I'm like, you just released all of the, the, the seed of evil, like, this is the, <laughs> this is where Omidon got all of his power from, and you're just going to hand it to the pawnbroker to pawn it? Yep. Take yep. it to a jeweler at least. I mean, come on. It's like I thought they needed that for something. They're like, we yeah. need to get the crown from him because that's all of his power to do. Yeah, something they just with needed it. to get they it away, away, away from him. Yeah, just away from him. But now, now somebody in in our current day and age has the red crown of Omadon and is causing all the world strife to happen. Thanks, guys. <laughs> So, listen, evil was removed from the magical realm. The magical realm is completely separated from humanity. They don't care. (laughs) This is true, because, like, uh, at the end of the film, they were like, you know, when Melisande says, can I go with him? You know, um, Carolinus is like, well, now the the Dome of Invisibility is sealing up our world right now. So if you go, you can never come back here, you know. Except in your dreams. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe a flash of inspiration. Mm -hmm. She gets a real all dogs go to heaven proposition from Carolina. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, so so that's what really happened. It's not that Omadon will regrow in the magic world. He just got transplanted to our world. Thanks, guys. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> also can can we just take a moment to talk about the real the biggest victim in this entire story which is the pro, uh the pawnbroker uh because he's forced to play this game that he clearly has no interest in <laughs> after he's been told that uh that Peter has no business uh with him and wants to take out a loan only for Peter to pull out a gold shield and say okay I'm going to pawn this now thanks for playing <laughs> test playing my game <laughs> I'll take you for all your money. And then the oh, what was it? He's like, oh, this is this is a uh, how much for this heirloom? Yeah, and, and he said like, your heir yeah. didn't loom so big. Yeah. If I gave you fifty, I'd be fired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. Oh, it was it was good. And the pawnbroker, um, it definitely felt like if that was a live action at the time, it would have been. Um, oh, oh, I can't think of his name. Don. Uh, Don Knox. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, because that's exactly who I thought. I thought it was like Don Knox, uh, but it wasn't. But yeah, I was yeah. like, yeah, that would have been Don Knox. They clearly yeah. modeled him after him, and whoever was doing the yeah. voice was like, I'm just going to do an impression. Well, and see, the thing is, is even the pawnbroker who has this little, little piece has like a lot of personality, a lot of expression to his mm. face and his voice and everything. Like, this is this is so well done done you know i can't i can't express enough like how amusing it is to watch just the interplay between all the characters like ara you know the big dire wolf when they are in you know the woods and they come across the elves and danielle and you know danielle saves everybody's ass from the elves and then sir oren's like you know I doff my helmet to a better man than I. And then she says, and I doff my cap to you, Sir Orin. And then he just drops his helmet. He's like, by all that's holy. Oh my God, there's a beautiful young woman. You know, and yeah. uh, and then 
you know, she's like, oh, my father always sank of your exploits. You've always been a hero of mine. And then here's Arag in the back cackling because he laughs all the time. And he's just like, too good to be true. And then Orin's just like, shh, shh. (laughs) My reputation precedes me. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that uh, Daniela's hat is a bag of holding uh, because... Oh, the hair. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, man, I was expecting like Rapunzel level. Like when it didn't stop, I was just like, I I want this to drag behind her. <laughs> I want mm. the, the most ridiculous ranger hair imaginable. Well, it's already, like, down to mid-thigh or something, at least. Like, it's really long. There was a lot of hair for a little hat. Yeah. (laughs) Well, to be fair, as a lady who has some longer hair, and I wear hats, you can hide quite a bit of hair in some hats. It just depends on how you do it. Oh, yeah. Not. Oh, and... And I did want to just do uh, uh, bring up a little bit of information that I looked up. Uh, part of the animation was done by Topcraft, which was a uh, Japanese uh, studio that was most famously uh, famous for the production of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind and also did uh, Thundercats and Silverhawks. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. So mm-hmm. that's why the that's part of the reason why the animation is so good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's well worth checking down. Um, we we went through most of the plot. It's on um, Amazon Prime for rent or purchase, which is probably yep. the easiest way to get it. Uh, I think there was theoretically a Blu-ray there, version yeah, came I, out. I believe there was in a Blu-ray. Yeah, I think there was a Blu-ray that came out. There was, there is a DVD that's still out and about as well. But you know, uh, Blu-ray or um, Amazon are probably the best ways to go about getting it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's well worth the watch. It's um, has some charming characters. Uh, it doesn't. It covers the story very. Um, fairly quickly. So, yeah, so it wasn't it was 92 minutes. Um, it doesn't feel like it's dragging. It just kind of keeps moving. Great uh, voice cast. The, um, the soundtrack is really good, too. Just the instrumental background score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, this was a good piece. We'll, uh, it'll be fun to compare this to Last Unicorn, which has all of the vocal tracks throughout the entire thing without being a musical. <laughs> well, what's interesting about the Flight of Dragons though is that it was it was originally released direct to video in the UK and it took a few years before it came to the US and it was aired like once and that one time it was aired was when my parents recorded it. <laughs> and then it was like um you know released on video in the US too, but that was like you know, a kind of limited release. So that's why, like, a lot of people don't know about this because it wasn't even, you know, like a big deal kind of release. Like, The Last Unicorn had a much larger release schedule and it was not made for TV or anything like that. Um, You know, obviously. So, I mean, there's a lot of differences between that movie and this movie in terms of, you know, just uh, production in general and, like, the intention of where it was going to be released and all of that. 
Yeah, this movie, um, like, I watched The Last Unicorn quite a bit when I was little as well, and I really liked it also, but The Flight of Dragons really was the one that captured my uh, imagination more than anything. And I think that's because, um, as I mentioned when I was on during the Legend episode, I also watched that movie incessantly as a small child. Like, all those things, the ideas of balance and these opposite things coexisting and all this other stuff, all of that was just, like, infused into me as a small child, and so that's just why it's it's part and parcel of, you know, uh, who I am and how I developed. <laughs> and, like, these yeah. are very basic things that were really influential for those reasons, and um, The Last Unicorn you know, is, is a great piece that we'll, I know, I, I know I'll end up on the show for that one too. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it does a little bit of a different kind of thing. And it's, it's a different work because it was based directly on a novel to begin with. And just one, like this one is such a weirdo thing because it was based on multiple sources and the screenplay was written by a guy with a vision, <laughs> you know, like the, the guy who wrote this screenplay um, you know, had a particular idea in mind and just took it and took the source materials and just ran with it. Um, I think his name was Rome, Roman, Romeo, Romeo Mueller. Mueller. Okay. So, um, I don't know what else that particular guy wrote, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, this is this is just singular because it just does a whole lot with a bunch of disparate pieces and it somehow manages to work. You know, in in a way that just kind of is notable. Like it's hard to do that, if you ask me. So. Yeah, no, it. Uh, yeah, like I uh, I said, there's it's it's anachronistic. It's um, uh, magic versus science. It's uh, it's fantasy with like the conceit like one of the weird things this is just a minor thing it's like oh yeah i haven't had milk in forever because the dragons have eaten all the cows in the country um <laughs> yeah but somehow we don't find that problematic and it doesn't really <laughs> affect anyone it's just a part of life that we have to deal with and i'm like mm, doubt but okay i'll just take i'll take it <laughs> mm. So yeah. uh, the okay. so the um the screenwriter for that also well he has actually a pretty extensive um, filmography but uh, he had done the screenplay for The Hobbit, um, Return of the King, Puff the Magic Dragon, Wind in the Wind Willows, in the Willows uh, and then just his TV specials is very that's Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, uh, Little Drummer Boy, I mean, all the standard all the claymation Christmas ones, all the all the things he. he, he yeah, he wrote all of those, so that makes hmm. a little bit of sense as to why he was able to do that, because he did quite a number of other things that also uh, are, are classics. <laughs> and Dave, I'm going to assume that uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, stuff was the uh, Bakshi? Was it Bakshi or Rankin-Bass? Uh, the Rankin-Bass. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Since there are so many, <laughs> yeah, yes, it was it was the Rankin Bass and um, the Return of the King, uh, Return of the King era from seventy seven onward, um, or eighty. So that's when Topcraft was doing that thing. Okay. Uh, mm. Yeah. 
so his his working with them is, is very extensive. So that part is in part I think why that this can hold up quite as well as it does. Uh, mm-hmm. this is it's enjoyable. You can watch this as an adult and go like, well, this is again. It's one of those things. Yes, yeah, is from 1982, but it is aside from some hand waving at the end. It's like this. It's not. It's for more than just children. Like this is an all ages yeah. kind of thing, and uh, if anything, skewed toward a slightly older mm-hmm. child audience, just because of the themes going on, are just going to go over the head of like a child. Well, the themes, and then just a lot of the characters just flat look scary. Like yeah. they are just scary looking. You know, like even just like the Millers at the beginning look scary. Everybody looks scary. Everyone's a little creepy though. Yeah. When it when it's yeah. talking about men and their craving for money or something, there's like a Baron or something. He's oh he's, yeah. He's rather he looks like he's from Berserk. He was frightening. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was I and 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 uh, I think my my final thought is uh, big props for Carolinas uh, for uh, uh, planning this this uh, this uh, this ideological assassination and then just like floating in on his house that's on like some some a plot of land at the end. I just really love watching that house just spin into the sky and gently <laughs> land and he's like you did it everybody and i'm like yeah we all sure did do it while you used <laughs> your you used your adopted daughter like a crystal ball yeah yep oh fratricide <laughs> yeah i want oh man i want that story i'm like yeah my adopted daughter i think you killed my parents no no it's just it's this it's the it's the bugs the bug the the, the insanity bugs are just telling you that i i'm the good guy don't well, look at my creepy hands <laughs> <laughs> well the thing about it is like you know the sand mercs did start turning um peter and sir Orin against each other you stupid right. slivering beast the sand mercs blah blah mm. blah why are you yelling at me like that? And they start just getting weird and aggravated and all these, you know, like this, you know, kind of anger and violence comes out of them. And Melisande, what happens with her is, you know, like she's sitting there and she's, you know, she hears the noise in her head when, you know, she's trying to project herself over the land because apparently that's a a skill nobody knew she had until just then. (laughs) (laughs) And um, then... Like, she hears the sand mercs and starts getting to her, too. And then that's when she's like, you, you know, you killed my mother and father. You blamed it on demons, but you! And then she just, like, yeah. falls into a trance. And I just, don't know, that's very specific. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this was a lot of fun. I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm always grateful when I get introduced to a new piece of media that I actually enjoy this late into my life. I say as if I'm a thousand years old. <laughs> Every time you say that, Leonard, you just make me feel that much older. Thank you. Uh, you're <laughs> slightly older than <laughs> I know, I know. I I'm psychologically it. older than all of what's great is that um when i first met dave and was talking to him i was 
talking to him about how old I was or something, and he said how old he was, and then for some reason I assumed his age. Like, he, I'm, a, I'm a year younger than Dave, but I started running around, like, when it was my birthday, I ran around and started telling people that I was his age instead of my age. <laughs> <laughs> like, I missed a year there, and it took me several months, and nobody, not even my own mother corrected me. Nobody corrected me. <laughs> Dave didn't correct me, even though he knew my birthday. She and... sounded very convinced <laughs> of it, so I was like, that must be correct then. <laughs> so I gained a year for several months there. <laughs> <laughs> But I, one of the things that I really like about this is I know it was based on some other kind of media, but like the fact that it's like summon the silver owls of this full moon and all this other stuff. And it's like very specific names and suggestions for all these different storylines of things that happened in the past that, you know, feel make it feel more than just a flat in service of this particular story, but like a broader world that's living and breathing and has more going on than you're ever going to know about. And I like that right. The limpid, was it the limpid pool? Limpid pool of, of time. Uh, the, the limpid pool yeah. of time. Are you sure this is a limpid? I'm a wizard. I know a limpid pool when I see one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And when, and when antiquity in the form of the big giant silver tree got mad at Carolinas and got bigger, I'm like, oh, that tree gonna kill him. He gonna kill the wizard. Oh, my God. Like, that's scary. It scared me. And, 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 then, and then burst into silver fire to, yeah. to peace out. I'm just like, hmm, hmm, burning yeah. foliage, huh? Oh, okay. He doesn't have allergies. He just inhaled a lot of antiquity. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, I think that that will wrap us up for this particular episode. This this was good. This was a lot of fun. Um, everyone loves Orb Dragon. By the beards <laughs> of antiquity. That's my favorite epithet. <laughs> Trusted antiquity. Oh my goodness. My goodness. Alright, well we'll do our little bit of admin wrap up and then close out the show. Jala, where can folks find you on the interwebs? I am Jalachan in places. Also, uh, you can find me on my regular podcast, The Level Podcast, at thelevelpodcast.com. That's where we love video games. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at night underscore twitten. That's night without a K. Uh, Aussie politics, Aussie weather. Um, the end of term is killing me. All kinds of good stuff like that. And occasionally there are cats. So cats. I swear it's work. <laughs> <laughs> and Leonard, how about yourself? Uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter. I, uh, at Doc, I'm like, you know where I'm. I, I, I know where you're at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at Dr. Faust is dead. Um, I have actually been significantly less active on Twitter uh, because I am trying to do things, uh, uh, get things in order relating, relating to the rest of my life. So, you know, priorities. Uh, and you can also find my video work on YouTube by also searching Dr. Faust is dead. Uh, maybe I'll put up something again this year before the year's over. Maybe I won't. Who knows? I sure don't. And <laughs> Dave, where can people find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at Sentinel underscore plus. That will be in the show notes as always. And then you can find back episodes of the podcast on monsterdeer.monster. We will be returning in two two weeks, I believe, um, probably to finish out the um, kaiju bit of Instagram Black. Yeah. That will be next on the list. And then we'll see from there what goes on. So this is us signing off. We will talk to you folks later. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everyone. All right. Rousing goodbye. That was a Gorbash, baby Gorbash noise. He went, (laughs) I'm the good ship, Dragon Pop.